Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. <laughs> Got pretty much an action-packed episode tonight. News broke today. Trevor Story had elbow surgery that could potentially keep him out for the entire 2023 season. Lots of implications and consequences possibly, uh, you know, in regards to that. So um, we'll be getting into it. And uh, we'll also in the second segment touch on the Carlos uh, Correa signing, which uh, happened overnight. He will go back to the Twins on a weirdly structured, I think it's an 11 or 12 year deal, but only six are guaranteed at uh, 200 million. So I think he got an eight million dollar signing bonus, and uh, but we'll we'll get into all that in the second segment. Joining me tonight, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? Doing pretty well. Um, I thought the Korea news would be sort of the news of the day, and um, at first I was like, well, that's if you think about it, it's not great for the Red Sox. You know, gums up the wild card a little bit, but eh, not terrible news. And then hours later, we get the Trevor story breaking news and just the shoulders just drop and you go up oh, jeez, here we go again it's only january and we're already dealing with this kind of stuff so it sucks but you know we'll get into it very deflating uh also joining us tonight is andrew duan andrew how are you doing good it's you know say Excited and interested to hear some scenarios and different solutions we'll be able to come up with to, you know, patch things together. I don't think this is, you know, the death blow that Twitter is making it out to be. Luckily, there's still a couple months to figure it out. So they'll have to move quickly. Well, let's get into that. So, Jason, what's your knee jerk reaction here? Um, my knee-jerk reaction was just, of course, because, you know, we talk about this roster a lot and the amount of injury-prone players it has on it. And I, I wouldn't label Trevor Story as injury-prone, but we do know that he has an elbow issue. And part of my concern all offseason, especially after Bogarts left, was they're really going to let him play shortstop? Because all I heard when he went through the signing process was, well, we know his elbow sucks, so we're going to keep him at second base. That's why we're signing him as a second baseman, not a shortstop, because we know the elbow is a problem. So that was always sort of there in the back of my mind. Once Xander left, I thought, they can't possibly put him at short. That would be irresponsible, and it's just not going to work. And he didn't even get a single game in at shortstop, and already – He's headed for elbow surgery. And all it took was him just, what, trying to ramp up, you know, in, in the offseason. So he was probably barely doing anything. He's just doing probably some light throwing. Hopefully that's all it was, that he was just doing some light throwing. I also, there was part of me that sort of, I'm like, is this guy the infielder version of Chris Sale, that he doesn't do the rehab properly or he doesn't, ramp up properly and he's just he, he goes 100 miles an hour right out of the gate and gets himself hurt i don't know um nobody really knows except trevor story himself but yeah it's just it was frustrating because you know 
you just knew that something was going to, was going to pop up some sort of injury. You know, again, this is the time of year where generally guys aren't doing too much, but some guys do start to slowly ramp up. And that's when, you know, inevitably there's going to get come a report of some guy getting hurt, but you're always sort of go, okay, it's January. Fine. Like if a guy gets a little bit hurt ramping up, no problem. Just shut it down. Be ready for spring training. The fact that he ramped up and ruined his UCL and now has to get surgery and the timetable being four to six months, that's pretty bad news for a guy that, you know, again, we talked about the lineup, not a lot of power in it. This guy was supposed to provide a lot of it. And now he's gone until probably June, July, all-star break, whatever. So yeah, just very frustrating day, very frustrating news. And hate to say it, but with Trevor Story, you could kind of see it coming just a little bit. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, definitely not great. I mean, Trevor Story, yeah, you know, for a little backstory here, we recorded an entire episode that didn't uh, make it due to some technical issues, but I was, you know, very, you know, excited for what he was going to do uh, after a full healthy offseason. And well, shit, that lasted 12 hours. Um, but neither here nor there, you know, I've watched Trevor story for, you know, seven, eight years out here in Colorado, uh, as he came up, as he played, he was always an above average fielder. Uh, he made every single play you could ask him at short and then some, um, his arm was always great until this, you know, the past year, uh, right before signing with the Red Sox, he didn't want to get surgery. He was very adamant about that. He went for the rehab route and, you know, it works for some guys. I mean, who was it? Tanaka for the Yankees. He never got surgery and he always needed it. And, you know, that's a hell of a lot more, um, pounding on your body as a starting pitcher than a shortstop who might be making seven, eight throws a game. Um, I was optimistic. I thought he was going to be able to make it through. I thought, you know, they probably talked to him at the end of the season. And from what it sounds like, you know, they planned on him being the shortstop and the, he, I'm going to take their word for it. Said he had no pain. He reported no pain. And unfortunately, you know, they can't just force him to, get it cleaned up or taken care of, you know, preemptively, which honestly would have been ideal, but there's just no possible way that, you know, a team can ask a uh, player with the strongest union of all sports to do that. Uh, It sucks. Uh, This puts them behind the eight ball. Um, I don't want to get too far into it right now, but I mean, there's definitely some solutions we can go with to hopefully patch up. I don't buy that. He's going to be out all year. Um, I kind of, trusted Passon's initial report of four to six months, which still is not great, but uh, doesn't exactly, you know, deliver that death blow that all of 2023 would be. It's hard to trust this Red Sox medical staff. I, I get that you can't force the player to have the surgery. You know, that's true. Um, sorry about this, Mike. Tried my uh, using an Android so I could not repeat the uh, technical issues. But anyway, 2019, a prime example of this. Um, Chris Sale should have had Tommy John, should have had Tommy John. But they thought that when the partial tear was revealed, they thought the PRP injections and rest could, 
you know, could mitigate the problem and he'd come back and be healthy in 2020. Like, why, who in their right mind watching his delivery, one of the most violent deliveries we've ever seen, would have thought that was a smart idea? So we don't know who the medical staff is. Their names are never floated out there. I mean, I, it would, I would find it hard to believe that the, the medical staff and the front office couldn't at least try to heavily influence you know, uh, you know, a proactive type surgery early on so that he would be, you know, ready at some point, hopefully in the first half. It's just, it's extremely frustrating. I was just trying to dig it up. I'm kind of afraid to now because I, I don't want to have a technical problem, but Story's arm, you know, th- three seasons ago was... I don't know if this is measured in exit velocity or, or just velo rather. You know, it, it was ranked 40% in the league. Then then 2021 it was ranked it was ranked 20 in the 26th percentile. And then last season it was in the 8th percentile. So what happens when it gets to 0? <laughs> like what's like is 0 viable cuz you're almost there. So that's why it's somewhat of a tough sell to me that the Red Sox were completely blindsided by this. Um, I, maybe they were. I don't know. But I mean, the, the data was there. The data was there. And Buster only had a tweet that other teams just were straight up not interested in him last winter because of the arm issue. So um, I, I just it's you can place blame on, on whoever you want here, but it could have been handled better and more proactively. And it's just absolutely frustrating. Here's my next take. Y- you've got to replace Xander Bogarts. You already had to replace him and we haven't done it yet. Now you, you got to replace story as well. You have no middle infield right now. The Red Sox don't have a middle infield. You've got, well, I mean, you, I guess you could bring in Kike and, and maybe that'll happen, but but he, Royal's not an everyday guy. He's off the bench, you know, and if if you try to overutilize him, you're not even going to have him off the bench because he's going on the injured list. That's what happens. You got to manage his workload. So you needed to really replace Xander somehow at, you know, 70 or 80 cents on the dollar. And now you're going to have to do the same thing with Trevor Story. And the names that we're going to go over here, that's 20 or 30 cents on the dollar. Barring something unforeseen, something we've never seen Bloom do in his tenure here. Barring that type of scenario. So, Jason, how, how would you address it? I know you floated a name earlier, so go ahead. What's your... What's your master plan here? Yeah, after looking up some of his numbers and looking at uh, fan graphs a little bit, just trying to figure out who would be a, a decent replacement and who would work in this lineup, the guy I want them to target is Willie Adamas over in Milwaukee. Right-handed power bat. He had 31 bombs last year. Um, his defense is actually pretty good. So he, I think he's a good fit. He's 27 years old and still under team control until 2025. So not only would be he be a good bridge for, you know, until Story gets back this year, but he's also just a good middle infielder to have for a couple of years until Marcelo Mayer and Nick York and all those guys are ready. 
Um, so I, I think he'd be a great fit. Now, what it would take to get him, uh, probably a little bit. I don't think you're giving up a Casas, a Mayer, a Rafaela. I don't think you have to do that, but you will have to give up some mid-level you know, prospects between the numbers 10 and 20 in your organization to probably get it done. Because uh, he is a good player in Milwaukee, you know, even though they've talked about selling off pieces and then they reverse course midway through the offseason and said, oh, no, just kidding. We're not trading anybody. So I don't know really what's going on there. Um, I think Milwaukee's a little bit unsure what they want to do. They probably would love to get rid of, you know, like Christian Yelich's contract, but nobody wants it. So I think they're just kind of standing pat and just seeing if they can go on a run with the group that they have. But I think you could pry Adamas away from them. And again, I just think all in all, he'd be a good fit. Now the downsides much like story, he's a strikeout machine he struck out 166 times last year. So not a ton of plate discipline. Um, and he is kind of just, you know, boom or bust. It, it's a lot of power and um, you know, he's not exactly the guy who's going to, you know, rope a single, you know, into, into left center when you really need one, he's, he's going to swing for the fences. Um, but you know what, at this point, it's better than relying on Christian Arroyo to play a full season, because like you said, that's never going to happen. That guy can't stay healthy no matter what he does. So I don't, and some of the other names, the free agents that are out there that I'm sure you guys will mention, none of them do a thing for me. So I want them to pull off a trade, go get Willie Adamas and, you know, figure it out from there because they need another right-handed bat and they need power. So I just think he'd be a great solution. How would you address it, Andrew? Yeah, mine's more of a two-part um, scenario here. First, I would go out and get Adam Duvall, um, still free agent, shouldn't cost much. Plus, plus, well, not plus, plus, plus defensive outfielder. Uh, has some pop when he's healthy. He's run the bases, good arm. Um, you know, he was a big part of that Braves championship team. And he has he has the pedigree when healthy. And Fenway is built for his swing. We saw him destroy the Red Sox uh, when the Braves came down. I don't know if that ball came down yet. Um, but, yeah, he just made them look like a double-A uh, team. The second move, um, sticking with the NL uh, East, would be calling up Miami since there's a ton of smoke surrounding that. And, you know, I don't know who exactly the pitcher is. I don't think it's going to be Pablo Lopez. I do think Edward Cabrera is going to cost a decent amount, but I can see them, um, you know, paying up for it since Bloom's comments today were that they are going to be looking and they still are looking um, for cost-controlled players that can have a long-term impact, and Cabrera fits that. Now, he is not the epitome of health and uh, durability, but if he manages innings correctly, you should be able to get a pretty good um, contribution out of him. And then you ask for a Miguel Rojas, or a Joey Wendell. There's your defensive replacement. Um, Kike can move to second. Uh, Wendell or Rojas, more so Rojas, can fill in fine at shortstop. And you kind of just hope that Adam Duvall can give you those Trevor Story numbers um, as a replacement. And you're kind of just patching it together without giving up much in terms of assets, without blowing by any you know tax threshold and getting into a 
negative situation, I'd say, without, you know, knowing exactly what the season's going to be, because I don't think they want to go past that uh, tax line right now before you know, they see, you know, what happens the first couple months of the season. So that is what I would do. Um, again, you know, they could even trade for a center fielder. Uh, the only reason I said Duvall is because I've kind of been, uh, I've been really pounding the pavement for him all off season, uh, multiple tweets for that. And I think it's just a very clean and easy way to try to replace that right-handed power that you need without giving up an asset. I don't see. Here's the thing, I guess. When the off season started, there were names like Gene Segura, um, Chris Bassett, one or two other names that I thought were underwhelming. I'm hoping, you know, this was the money off the books here. So I want, I want better than those guys. And now that we are where we are, I'm like, man, it's too bad. We couldn't get Segura. You know, it's too bad. We didn't get a guy like Chris Bassett who would have at least started 30 games. Uh, And, you know, I guess Adam Duvall, you know, fits that category. Now I'm like, all right, I'll take Duvall because that's where we're at. And there's not many other options out there. I would have been disappointed if that that was the name we were kicking around last November and early December. It, it would have been very disappointing. So if you get Duvall and then you move in Kike, that solves half the problem. I do like Jason's idea of Adamus. He is kind of coming off of somewhat of an off year offensively. He did have some home runs, but... Average was down. OBP is down. Perhaps maybe it's somewhat of a buy low situation. I mean, he's not coming off of a a top 10 or 15 MVP type season to where the price would be higher. So that's a scenario I like. Um, You know, you talk about Elvis Andrews, Jose Iglesias, Josh Harrison, Miguel Rojas, who, you know, would be, you know, from the Marlins. I don't know who's better between Wendell or Rojas. Neither one of them are going to hit for power. Um, but it's it's an extremely underwhelming situation. And last night on the show that, uh, you know, unfortunately had the technical issues, I've already said, I think we're out. We're out of the postseason because I just, I have no faith in this rotation. Now my my confidence in this lineup has has taken a major blow. It's taken a major blow because last night I was willing to assume to some degree that Yoshida is going to work out. You know, offensively he's gonna he's gonna give you serviceable major league numbers, and I expressed the same optimism about Tristan Casas. But man, you're just really trying to align the stars. Last year, I had this as an 85-win team. I had us missing the playoffs, but finishing with a winning record. Okay, this year, I'm I'm about as concerned as I was going into 2021. I just think there's so much uncertainty with this rotation. Um, one idea I'll float out there. I know Andrew hates it, but... I think Alex Verdugo is absolutely expendable. We've got a, a huge lefty problem. And, you know, he's the one that, I mean, you're not going to do anything with Devers. 
Casas isn't going anywhere. You just signed Yoshida. So it has to be Verdugo, you know, being the expendable one. And there was there was talk of the Red Sox wanting to trade him. And at the time, I thought that was the worst thing ever. This was before Yoshida, you know, was signed. I'm like, the dude doesn't strike out. The dude just does not strike out. He puts together some great at-bats. I'd love it if he would walk a little bit more. But other than that, I, I think he's... He's got some of the best plate discipline, you know, on the team. And now we're at the point because of those other moves. I, I guess I would be willing to trade him at this point. And a name I threw out there was Ahmed Rosario, who is probably maybe even better than Adamas, really, in terms of balance, you know, hitting for average, getting on base, doesn't quite have the pop that Adamas has, but. Uh, he's got just one year of control left, so it would be a rental. Um, that would fit, hopefully, the Trevor Story situation, um, you know, for coming back for 2024. Nick York should be ready by then, uh, you know, remains to be seen. I thought Marcelo Meyer, I guess I'm wrong. I thought he was going to be starting this year in double A, um, which I thought could put him on track for early next season, but. Perhaps it'll be, you know, mid to later next season uh, if he gets called up. But that's just a, a move I would make. It's just kind of a lateral move. You know, you're you're trading a guy like Verdugo and you're putting Rosario in there and, and filling a hole in the in the uh, infield. And then, like Andrew said, go get Duvall. I mean, Duvall, I, I think he needed to be signed like an hour ago. <laughs> I, there, there's got to be teams out there looking at the Red Sox conundrum and then looking at Duvall thinking to themselves, well, we ought to go for him <laughs> right now before the Red Sox do, you know, and he's what, coming off of a bad year, but go ahead. What do Rosario's numbers do though, that Verdugo's don't? Cause if you look at their offensive numbers, they were the exact same. The big boost <clears throat> that Rosario gets is defensively. Right. That's what I mean. It's a lateral move, but yeah, that's why I don't think they do. I thought Verdugo very well could be in play at the beginning of the off season for a trade. I, I just don't think they're there now. I, I you're, you would, cause you'd have to find a replacement right fielder. Um, so you would just be shuffling the decks on the Titanic right now. I just think it, you know, it gets rid of the lefty problem. And I mean, I just think it's easier to acquire an outfielder without any means of a trade. So so just do that and then trade for your one middle infielder guy. And I think Rosario would be probably cheaper than than Jason's scenario of Adamas. And I don't hate either one. I would be fine with either one, but I I just feel like you're it's just easier to to come up with an outfielder uh than it is an infielder right now. I think what they, they can also just get an outfielder and move Kike in. No. Well, you need you do need two infielders. So so you get Rosario, you move Kike in anyway, and then Duvall's gonna take Kike's spot in the outfield. So yeah, I think when it comes to Rosario, what what sort of bothers me about that scenario is okay, you solve the lefty problem, but you don't solve the power problem. And you know, if you have a lineup that doesn't hit for power, you need guys to get on base. Rosario's not an on-base guy. He, 670 plate appearances last year, he walked 25 times. So he, he's – and he's not like necessarily a strikeout machine, but he just 
he hits for contact and he doesn't draw walks. He doesn't have long at bats and he doesn't hit for power. So yeah, he'd be really good defensively. He, he absolutely would be um, a good defensive shortstop here and he is a righty bat, but he's not a threatening righty bat. Adam Duvall, when he's right, is a threatening right-handed bat. Willie Adamas is a threatening right-handed bat. Um, so I, I would rather go for something like that than just, honestly, a, a cheaper version of Verdugo that doesn't walk as much. Actually, it, well, it looks like their numbers are, are kind of similar. Um, you know, I mean, I don't have Verdugo's up, but he's like, you know, right around a 320 on base guy, and that's about what Rosario is. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather have Rosario or would you rather have one of the Andrews, Iglesias, Harrison, Rojas guys? I mean, I still think Rosario is an upgrade over them. And if Bloom, if you absolutely have to give up a guy like Rafaela for Adamas, you know, I I just I think it's viable. I, I think, you know, just at least as a matter of, of due diligence, I would I would do that. And you might have to come up with a three-team trade somehow. You know, find somebody who has a definite need for a Verdugo. And I guarantee you there's teams out there that'll love his metrics, uh, you know. And um, and then just try to try to swing it that way. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's It sucks that we're talking about this. It's, it's a terrible problem that we have right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly you bring up uh, those names, Andrews, Josh Harrison, Jose Iglesias. I will not be thrilled if that's the route they go. I don't think that really solves much of a problem. It, it gets a warm body in there. but um, And also, like, Josh Harrison's purely second base. He, he can't play shortstop. So now you're asking Kike to play shortstop, which I don't think he's as good at as, as he is at second base. So you're really losing out defensively with him. Um Andrews is, is a really good defender still, and Iglesias is a good defender, but those guys, I don't know. that Those bats are not going to help you at all. So I, I hope that they go either the Duvall route, I think, would make sense, or they go some sort of trade route where they really add an impact player up the middle because if they try and just do a patchwork thing with some mid-30s free agent, oh, my God, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. I view Elvis Andrews and a guy like Gene Segura the same. And I, I sent you a picture of Segura today. It looks like he ate Elvis Andrews, and that's not ideal for the money that Miami gave him. And I was advocating for Segura earlier in the offseason, but I guarantee you I wouldn't have been doing that if I saw it. I'm not really one to talk, but, I mean, I'm not getting paid to be in peak physical shape either. So, yeah, that was a little spooky to see that. Um, again, I, I don't want to see them mortgage any – large pieces of the future to maybe just, you know, figure out something uh, just to take care of till story's gone. And it, they, it, I don't think they can really make a knee jerk trade without knowing an exact timeline either. I think that's very important to get down before they decide what route they go. Well, I think Bloom was very clear in that he needed to do something because they couldn't bank on Story coming back at all. So, I mean, I really think there is some urgency there. Um, now, what the type of guy they're targeting, I, I don't know if we'll be thrilled with that. Here's a question. Is 
what are the chances? I know he hasn't. He's had just a cup of coffee, basically, at AAA. But could Rafaela, if he ha- if he's killing it in spring training, could he make the opening day uh, lineup? He can't hit. He has. He, he doesn't have the pitch recognition right now, and the bat to ball skills aren't there. Okay. If they did that for him, it would just be a disservice. And they ruled it out too today. They said they weren't going to uh, bring him up. Okay. All right. Well, I just figured he's the closest of all the ones that you know could be ready. But um. All right. So I'm just trying to think here. Um. One other thing that bothers me is if he's going to miss the whole season anyway, why didn't he just have Tommy John? <laughs> like, like what? Because this, what he had, uh, it's some type of bracing procedure and it's relatively new. And I guess the early results are okay, but if you're going to miss the whole damn season, why don't you just go the the proven route and, you know, like Bryce Harper just did and get the actual surgery? Yeah, and hopefully that's because they really do believe he won't have to miss the whole season. And, you know, maybe them just throwing that out there today was them trying to take the pressure off so that, you know, people aren't just, uh, you know, logging onto Twitter on July 1st going, okay, where is he? Where is he? You told it, you told us four to six months. Where is he? So I think that was more them trying to cover their ass. Um, hopefully he's back. My, my bigger frustration isn't so much him not having the surgery early enough because – I agree with what Andrew said. Like you can't force a guy who feels good to go in for a, you know, a surgery on his elbow. It doesn't make sense. My frustration is with the plan. The plan that your plan was to take a guy whose arm was in the eighth percentile of strength and put him at shortstop. That was your plan. You were seriously thinking that was going to work out. Even if he was healthy, what's he going to do? Like skipping rocks over to first base the whole season. Like that's, that's what it's going to be. So the plan is more frustrating to me because it makes absolutely no sense that a guy whose elbow sucks and is degrading over the years, you're now going to move him to the left side of the infield and make him throw further. That's just stupid. That makes no sense at all. So I'm more frustrated with that than I am the whole, why didn't he have the surgery earlier? Or why didn't he just get full blown Tommy John? It's like that plan made no sense from the start. And now it really did blow up in your face. So I have no you know, nothing to base this on. This is just a pure hypothetical, you know, thing I'm throwing out here. Some people are really freaked out by medical procedures. And I kind of think that Trevor story, you know, could be one of those guys that doesn't want to get put under. I, you know, I was talking to, um, well, a family member, um, and she was talking about it. She's a, she works at a school and a girl went under the other day, a six-year-old and didn't come back. And yeah, like anesthesia is no joke. And some people are freaked out by that. And, you know, him not getting that surgery going into his free agent year that he could have got during a lost Colorado, Colorado Rockies 2021 season, he probably would have made more money, you know, if he got that done. So I'm, I'm thinking it's, you know, him avoiding medical procedures. I think he wanted to do anything but go under the knife. Well, he did it, and uh, he survived it. So um, I just, you know, I and I, I said earlier privately, I, I said th- this to me is more a Red Sox medical staff thing. Like they just can't make the 
most proactive, efficient decision to save their lives. It's just, what are they doing? And, you know, Chris Sale's recovery last year had had setbacks, and we're still waiting to see if Paxton's going to be healthy enough to pitch. And so it's just they gotta they've gotta be one of the worst, you know, medical staffs in, in major league baseball, I would think. But um so I mean we'll see. I mean, we thought we thought we were what, one piece away and maybe a trade for a starter if we were lucky, and now we're probably two or three pieces away now. So a lot of um you know and, and a lot of the, the Bloom people are out there like, oh, it's, you know, they're acting like there's this rich, you know, there's this rich market out there with all these, you know, sexy names. And we're we're getting really creative to come up with the names that we mentioned. So, all right, we'll see. All right, let's move on. The other big news, uh, Carlos Correa finally uh, gets his... Um, Deal done with the Twins. Jason, thoughts? Good for Correa. Uh, and I'm glad to see Cohen lose out on one because I don't hate the Mets. I don't I don't hate Steve Cohen, but I hate the way that they operated, you know, this offseason and the way they operated during the Correa negotiations. I mean, they're worried about an ankle injury he had in 2014. I mean it's just, it's ridiculous. So good for Correa for getting his money, getting, you know, at least six years guaranteed. And I thought it was really interesting that a lot of those incentives that sort of activate uh, the later years, it's him betting on himself. Like uh, the seventh year is guaranteed if he makes 500 plate appearances in year six. So that's Correa telling you, I plan to be healthy at age 34 and still raking and, still being a really productive player and I'm going to get another guaranteed year after that. And he's just going to keep doing it. And I don't know. It's just, it's one of those stories that like, I like to see a mid market team like the twins be able to swoop in and get their guy again, you know, instead of him just predictably going to another media giant, like the Yankees or, you know, or the Mets or the, even the giants to some degree, like it's, it's cool to see that a superstar player, you know, wants to play for a mid-market team like that and, you know, is willing to take a contract to go there. Kind of sucks for the Red Sox because I think we can all pretty much agree they're not a division winner at this rate. Uh, if they're going to make the playoffs, it's going to have to be via the wild card. Well, the wild card just got a little tougher because Minnesota just got a big-time middle-of-the-order bat, um, you know, that will certainly make them a strong contender again if they can get their pitching staff figured out, which they always seem to have trouble doing that. But, you know, if they do it once, then, uh, you know, they'll, they'll definitely be a contender. So him staying in the American league th makes things a little tougher for us here in Boston. But ultimately, again, just, I'm kind of glad to see Cohen lose one and good for Correa for sticking, you know, sticking up for himself, sticking with his guns and getting paid. Yeah. So I'm breaking this down into three different parts. Good for Minnesota and their fans, you know, not never great to see a mid-market team lose talent, even though obviously he wasn't homegrown when it came to him. But, you know, 
he seemed to really fit in that locker room and with those fans. So happy for them that they retain him. Good for Carlos Correa. He continues to get paid um, through the saga. You know, it seemed like, you know, he had a suit on. He was ready to go to that press conference for the Giants. He didn't ask for this. So, you know, hard guy to feel bad for. But, you know, in this situation, I kind of do. I don't think he asked for this. Um, and that's going to come into my next point. Shame on Boris for dragging him to free agency again because he only wanted to do a one-year deal originally because he wasn't going to get that multi-year, you know, long-term money because, you know, he wasn't representing Correa originally and money was going to have to go to his old agent. So shame on Boris for dragging him through this again. Not like Boris has feelings anyways. Uh, And then shame on the Mets. That was a joke. They knew that there was an issue. There was a red flag regarding his leg, which seems to be fine. It's just an old injury that someone actually uh, managed to find on Twitter, um, an old AAA highlight from when he slid in second. And, you know, this is the second time they've done this. Last year they did it with Kumar Rocker in the draft. They signed. They had the deal um, agreed upon. The terms were agreed upon. The money all that was figured out. And then at the last second, they said, you know what? We don't like the physical. We are offering you, I believe it was either zero or one. I think it was zero or $1 because they had to technically offer him uh, a certain amount of money to get that draft pick back. And obviously Rocker's not going to sign for a zero or $1. So he has to go rehab on his own, um, play in an indie league, and, you know, it worked out. The Rangers overdrafted him. But they're not negotiating in good faith at this point. Cohen's pulling some shady crap. He's pulled shady stuff uh, in his professional dealings. Um, you can go on Reddit and look that up. He, uh, If you look up, you know, Steve Cohen on Super Stonk, they'll have plenty to say to, uh, about him there. And, you know, you're worth, what, $14 billion and you're just screwing these guys over? I hope – that this burns them in the long run. I'm not sure it will, you know, guys are always going to want to get paid and money can make you forget some things, but I just don't like how he's operating. I think it's pretty sketchy and pretty, uh, pretty low class. So John boy and Jake are on the talking baseball podcast and they were pretty early with those observations. Um, they speculated and said that they were speculating. They didn't have any info on this, um, you know, firsthand, but they, I, if, if I remember listening, right. Cause it, it was like a week and a half ago. They, they thought that Cohen was never going to give him the three fifteen. Like he knew they, he, they figured, okay, we'll agree to it now, then we'll raise the concerns, and then we'll get them at our price. And the expectation up until the middle of last night, like mid-evening, I should say, was that the Mets would eventually get it done. And I saw conflicting stuff today. Was it six at like 165? Was that the deal? Or was it six at 210? There, there was a lot of conflicting information as the details were pouring out today. The Mets yeah, final that offer was like eight at two ten or something. It was like it was lower. It was a lower AAV than 
what Minnesota gave them. So, and then the the yearly physicals, which is just a joke. Yeah, to get the each year beyond that. Yeah. So I I think Correa honestly, you know, comes out of this as a big loser though. I mean, he's got the least guaranteed money of all the other guys. The other players all went to bona fide contenders that could conceivably win a World Series this year. You know, Turner with the Phillies, Bogarts with the Padres. Uh, I, I know I'm missing one more in there. Um, and then Swanson. Swanson. Swanson went to the Cubs. I don't think he'll win a World well, Series. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> he's he's maybe the one. Yeah. That, was a, that was a personal uh, choice, though, because his wife plays, uh, I want to say it's soccer for uh, a Chicago so he did that all on his own, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think the twins are going to sniff a world series at any point. I, I mean, it's tough to, well, they've made some good moves, I guess. I mean, they've put together a semi-decent rotation, but they, they're not a big market team, so they're never going to be aggressive. And Correa is used to being on a winner. I mean, he went to the ALCS five or six straight times, you know, all but the last one with the Astros. You know, he's used to playing for a bona fide championship contender. Those days are over, I think, as a twin. So, I mean, $200 million, that's, I mean, the next five generations of his family are going to be taken care of. You know, that's not... <laughs> That's not pennies, but what is that? I mean, he, he lost, what, 35 40% of his initial, um, you know, Giants deal that was worth $350 million. And the frustrating thing for me is that years, you know, his age 37 through age 40 season, he's going to suck anyway. He, I mean, those aren't going to be good years, most likely. And those are probably going to be the years in question as far as his ankle goes. So you know he's already not going to live up to the, the annual value of his deal those, those last few years. Why did any of this matter? If you're trying to set yourself up for a four, five, six-year window, sign Carlos Correa. I wouldn't sign a, a 28 or 30 year old player to a, a deal that would take him to 40. I just wouldn't do it. I, I said it all along with the Mookie Betts uh, situation. I was willing to with Devers because he's only 26. So that takes him through his age 37 season. I can live with that. So I wouldn't assign Correa anyway, but for the teams that were dumb enough to do it, I just don't, don't see why this ankle thing really mattered. It hasn't affected him as a big leaguer. So, so I mean, I think he's the, the big loser here. At least he gets the focus now on, on next season. So, you know, he can get back into his routine and all that. So I'm sure that's, that's comforting, but, um, man, he's, he was the youngest of all of them and he got the least amount of, uh, guaranteed money. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how the, the deal will age, I mean, a lot of those deals aren't going to age well. The Tree Turner contract is not going to age well. Tree Turner at 40 years old for a guy whose game is predicated on speed and stealing bases and playing good defense, come on. So, I mean, it's it sucks. And, like, yeah, I'm sure by the time he's 37, 38, his, his ankle might be as bad as Ortiz's was 
you know, towards the end of his time here. But I don't know. Maybe he's just de-aging at that point and still hitting 20, 25 home runs a year. So that's that's the gamble that Minnesota is going to take. That's the gamble that he's going to take on himself. But that's just the way these contracts are going now. Guys aren't signing for five, six years anymore. Not if you're a superstar. If you're deemed to be in that top tier of the free agent class, you can get eight to ten years easy. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that you're going to need to get all your guys locked up um, early into arbitration. And, well, we uh, Alex Spear just broke down. He got the Devers contract scoop. And luckily, because uh, this was the last remaining question, was does the AAV kick in this year? It does not. So he's only going to get that 17 and a half. So that opens up some payroll for uh, a potential Trevor Story replacement this season. So does that add a 12th year to the deal then? It does not. Oh. Nope. Okay. Yep. He's good. It still ends, you know, uh, 2033 is last year. So, yeah, it's just that full, easy 10-year deal, which I honestly, I mean, they, from what, you know, the situation they were in, it seems like that was the best uh, scenario for for the Red Sox, uh, the way that they were able to write it out. So what are we see? I don't think we, if we really want to win, I don't know that the luxury tax, I mean, ideally we would be under it, but I just don't know if we have the luxury of being under the luxury tax at this point. Cause I mean, we need at least what three pieces here you're looking at. So how, how far under it are we? I guess trying to pull it up really quick. Okay. And that's where that's where John Henry's got to wake up and, you know, stop focusing on his stupid new hockey team and say, OK, yeah, sure. Go over the tax because well, I'm, I'm sick of losing a couple ways to get under it. Obviously, I mean, if I get my way and, and uh, Verdugo gets moved, that's seven million roughly. If you can get someone to take all but, you know, 10 million of the sale contract. So we would be. We would be kicking in, what's that, 17-something this year. Um, so that would be another means of, of clearing out some money. I don't know. Is Barnes movable? I don't think so. That's $7 million. Probably not. Brazier, you could remove $2 million roughly. I'm just trying to come up with ways to, to free up some space there, but... <laughs> Yeah, they're going to be up against it, but I don't know. I, but, you know, you're going to have to replace those guys in how much does a Verdugo replacement cost and how much to, you know, at the end of the day, the replacements are going to cost pretty similar amount of money. Yeah, I mean, Duvall is going to be about that, I would think. I'd imagine he's going to be five to seven, kind of along what A.J. Pollock got. Um, a good way of doing it would probably be – you know, putting a Justin Turner-esque second year on there at a slightly higher amount um, and worrying about it next season if they can keep under this year because then obviously going over next year doesn't matter. So I I would like, you know, to see them get a little creative in, a, in that way. I'm trying to – yeah, never mind. I was trying to figure out how much 
Rosario would get. I'm guessing he's probably in the what four to six million range at Arb two, something like that. Um, but so they have about fifteen million, according to Sox stats, literally just now to spend right now before they hit the threshold. That's a decent chunk of change. How much could we we get? They have to be motivated, more motivated than ever to trade sale. So. How much money could we save on that? I mean, depends on a, you know, what you want to get back, which I still don't believe as much, um, especially if you're not eating all 25. Uh, it be well, <laughs> convincing him to accept the trade, and then you know what? What's the who's the replacement, and how much does that cost? You know, as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're just getting a a low end prospect if if they're taking on more money, but um, yeah, I don't know. There's so many so many questions here, but like I said, I mean, I really feel like Bloom is is managing for his job here, so I don't know how important the the luxury tax really is at this point. You know it. If he wants to win, you just got to go get whatever you can get. I feel like, I mean, we're not going to be paying another player $20 million, you know, so we're not going to like blow past the tax, but, um, but you know, even if you're a dollar over, uh, that's a repeater tax of last year and, you know, you're still going to lose your, you know, multiple picks and international money. If you want to sign a QO guy and there's a decent, you know, class coming up with, uh, yeah. Otani obviously headlining and, you know, Julio Arias, if you can land a guy like that, one of the best pitchers in the league. So you want to be able to at least throw your name in the hat there. Cause the options are, you know, pretty high. I'm I'm a hardcore no on Otani if it's going to be a 500 million deal. <laughs> I just don't I just don't want to do it. You know. But um you know, we'll we'll see what happens. All right. Well, we'll we'll wrap on that. I mean, we'll be able to better process the situation and and maybe get an idea of where the Red Sox are going here within the next 24 48 hours. Hopefully they're at least on the phone with Duvall's agent right now because I think that gives you a lot of flexibility um, by bringing him in. You know, Kike gets moved to the infield and and whatnot. So, uh, wish we had better news this episode, but uh, hopefully we will the next one. <laughs> Everybody have a good um, rest of your week. Take care. <laughs>